You're welcome to return to your seats or near a seat, but remain standing as we read from the book of Acts. I know it's the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. I know that you all expected me to go to the book of Acts. I did not want to disappoint you. I could have easily went to many, many other passages of Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, both that prophesy of the outpouring of the Spirit and that give us case and examples of the outpouring of the Spirit. But today I'm going to read from Acts chapter 1. We'll read a couple of scriptures here, then we'll jump over to Acts chapter 2, read a couple of scriptures there. And then we'll do that with every chapter of the book of Acts, and then you'll be seated after that. I'm just kidding. Acts chapter 1, as you still turn there, it's so good to see everybody here today. Why don't you look over at your neighbor and smile real big at him? Say, I don't know them, but smile anyways. Amen. Smile at someone. Let someone think that you're happy that you're, they're here. Amen. Anybody glad that Jesus is in the house? I feel his presence in this place. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's so great to have each and every one of you and to all of our guests. Refuge Church, can we give them a warm welcome? We're so glad that every guest is here. Amen. We have a little bit of a, a saying around here. Amen. You, you're, your first time, you're a guest. Your second time, you're transitioning. After that, your family. And uh, we're so glad to, to every person that is joining themselves to this wonderful church family. And how many love the Refuge Church family? I'm so glad to be a part of this family of believers. Amen. Acts chapter 1. Speaking of Jesus Christ, verse 3, it says, To whom also Jesus showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible, undeniable proofs, being seen of them forty days, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And when he was gathered together with them, being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them. You might even say that this is the last command that Jesus gave verbally, physically with them. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem until... You're going to wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost in not too many days from now. And uh, he goes on in verse 8, he says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And as a result, you will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 shows us the result of their obedience to that command. They went and they waited in Jerusalem in an upper room. There was about 120 of them as recorded in Acts 1.15. It says there was about 120 of them. That's nearly exactly what we have here today. About 120 gathered here today. So imagine yourself right here in the pages of Scripture. You're gathered to together, obeying the command of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost, so we are introduced to an event on the Jewish calendar here. 
And Acts is really, it's a history book. It gives so much history in it that can be verified outside of scriptures. And here it's giving us a point in time. It was on the day of Pentecost, which is on the Jewish calendar, when it was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. They were not just gathered in one room, but they were gathered together. They were there for the same purpose. They were there for the same reason. They were obeying the last command of Jesus. And verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, somebody say all, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of them began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I wasn't trying to add to Scripture when it says they all began to speak with other tongues. I was just simply pointing out that there put no difference between those who were filled and those who spoke with other tongues. All of them were filled. All of them began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability. I won't read the next Scriptures, but it just... it communicates that there was a crowd that gathered out of curiosity. Some were amazed, others were mocking, and uh, still others were saying, what does this mean? And Peter, the Bible says in verse 14 of Acts 2, Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Listen up. He says, these are not drunk like you think they are. They are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. They came to the early service. It was 9 a.m. in the morning, but he goes on to clarify. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. He said, this is the beginning of the last day. Saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Peter goes on to preach. And we're going to pick it up. The close of his message in verse 36 at the close of his message, he, he closes with these words, words that would draw absolutely a response, that would lead them to a decision, just like we do here at the Refuge Church when we preach on any given Sunday. We are leading you to a point of decision. And he leads them to verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And when they heard these words, the crowd, the Bible says, was cut to their heart. They were pricked in the heart. And so they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter replied, so glad you asked. That's in italics. He said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. And you shall. Someone say shall. Oh, I like the sound of that. Someone say shall. 
That's pretty certain. That's pretty certain. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this gift is a promise for you, your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And everybody say amen to the word. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, let's rejoice in the word and thank him. Amen. Let's thank him. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its availability to us today, whether on paper or on app. We're thankful that we have access to your word. We thank you, Lord, for what we just read. We rejoice in it. We pray that you would have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. I've come to preach to you today about the pattern of Pentecost, the pattern of of Pentecost. Shake hands with your neighbor and tell him just that, the pattern of Pentecost. God bless you. You've been so patient. You may be seated. Amen. I hope you enjoy those comfortable chairs while I continue to stand. I know some of you, you've been standing, you're like, oh man, if he would have read one more scripture, I don't think I could have made it. Some of you stood much longer on Black Friday one year. Ain't nobody going to help me preach now. (laughs) Speaking of Black Friday, um, you know, COVID was a trying year, right? We're just going to regard 2020 as COVID. 2020 was a trying year for us all, wasn't it? It was was a trying year for the world. And... um, you know, to some of us, it broke us down. It broke us down. It did, it did to me. I, uh, I resisted buying a pet all these years. Been married for 18, going on 19 years, haven't bought a pet. I mean, I went into marriage knowing that my wife grew up with dogs. She loved her boxers that she had growing up. And, uh, but we, we held it at bay. It was, it was one of the wisest decisions that we made in our marriage. Anyone, anyone that's been married that starts out with a pet knows that the pet parts does not bring together. <laughs> I, my son, my son, he's, he's about to be 16, so for almost 16 years, I mean, I've had, I've had puppy dog eyes from my son, then my daughter. My daughter, she would leave notes on my nightstand weeks, months leading up to birthdays and Christmas. Dad, I don't want anything, just a puppy. That's all I want. I just continue to put my foot down on that solid, firm foundation, whatever it is. My stubbornness, no dogs allowed, no pets allowed. I entertained maybe a goldfish, but didn't even let a goldfish in my house. We did have a bunny that was forced into our home, but that, that had to go quickly. But COVID, you know, it got the best of all of us, didn't it? And finally, Christmas of 2020, yeah, you guessed it, I got my family a dog. How many pet lovers are here today? Oh, I'm preaching to the wrong church. Let me... I was wondering why y'all were looking at me with, like, daggers in your eyes. Like, he, like how much longer is he going to stay here? Move on, Pastor. 
You're losing the congregation. You guys would have started walking out. Yeah, pet lovers are in the house. You know, people, they've got, they've got dogs and horses and birds and fish and turtles. No. I heard that, Sister Parker. That's right. Some even have cats. And there's a place of repentance here today for you. And I'm just going to say, on that, on those grounds, you all should be thankful that we are living on this side of Pentecost. Because our gatherings would be, they would look much different. Uh, we, we would be gathering together and we would hear animal sounds that were not very pleasant to hear. Animals that would be resisting the pull of their owners to an altar of sacrifice. The, the bleeding or the crying of sheep and oxen and even innocent little turtle doves. They'd never hurt anybody. But you would hear the, the cry of animals, the smell of burnt flesh. And I'm not thinking that it's going to smell as good as our grill on Monday night at the men's meeting. In fact, let, let me back up. I'll say this. If, if, if this crowd was gathered together pre-Pentecost, uh, surely we would be gathering for probably all sorts of reasons, but except for the reason, reason of worshiping the creator of the universe. The God of all creation, the one who made man in his image and crafted him in his likeness. In fact, I would dare venture to guess that we all would be probably be worshiping the heavens and the things of this earth and idols and statues. But now that we are living on this side of what we just read about, you and I, who for the most part are not of the Jewish race, we are not descendants of Abraham, we would be worshiping the world religions of the day that our ancestors followed after, but I thank God. I thank God that today we celebrate Pentecost on this side of Pentecost. Now let me... Let me let me fill you in. Pentecost, Pentecost is a Greek word meaning 50. 50. So when you say Pentecost, what you're saying is 50. Why are we saying 50? Because it's seven weeks. It's seven seven-day increments, seven weeks from Passover, the day really after Passover. So you got 50 days. Pentecost is one of three Jewish holidays that God commanded in Deuteronomy 16, 16 for all of the men that were of Israeli descent to gather in Jerusalem for a festival. The first festival was the festival of unleavened bread. It was the feast of Passover. And that went all the way back to Egypt and how God brought Israel out of Egypt by them that last plague when they put the blood on the door and the destroyer came through Egypt and when he saw the blood of a lamb on the doorpost he would pass over that house and not bring destruction to it. That was the feast of unleavened bread where they would get rid of all the leaven out of the house. 
Then there was the Feast of, 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 of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. And they would count seven weeks after Passover. They would gather again and they would celebrate the wheat harvest. They would, it would be a sort of celebration of the first fruits of their harvest for this year. They would celebrate that and also later began to include a celebration and commemoration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. That, that moral and ceremonial and civil law that God gave to his people for, him that, for them to rule in an orderly manner and live together in a decent way. But then there was a third festival and that was the festival of harvest or the festival of tabernacles, the festival of booths. And this particular festival, what they would do is called tabernacle, festival of tabernacles or festival of booths. And what they would do is they would come to Jerusalem and they would build, I mean, really the only like modern English word that would characterize like a tent, like, like a shanty. I mean, literally, it was like a, a propped up lean-to. And they would put these up and down the streets Oh, they would put these up and down the streets and they would stay in them. And what they would do is they would remember how God kept them while they lived in tents in the wilderness. And they would cut down palm branches and they would wave palm branches and they would celebrate the gathering in of the harvest. It was the end of the harvest season and they would celebrate the gathering in of the harvest. Now, the book of Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it's verse 1, it tells us that the law was a shadow of things to come. If you go outside on this beautiful, gorgeous day, the sun is shining, and, and you stand right, and you'll see the sun on one hand, and on the other hand, you'll see your shadow. That's what it's speaking of is, is these festivals and these three primary pilgrim festivals, pilgrimage festivals, they were a shadow of things to come. Just like the tabernacle. Brother Meyer the other week preached to us about the tabernacle and how the tabernacle in the Old Testament is a shadow of those things which are in heaven. That it represents what is actually in the dwelling place of God and how we approach God through the gates and the altar sacrifice and, and the labor of washing and go into the holy place in the most holy place. So with that in mind that these festivals are, these are primary Jewish holidays that would take place three times every year, the first being the festival of unleavened bread and the festival of Passover that declared the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. You see, this was fulfilled. Christ said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill the law or fulfill the law. I've come to bring its completion. That was the shadow. This is the substance. This is why there is a shadow. I'm the substance that casts the shadow. And it was fulfilled in Christ. Everything that was celebrated in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Passover. You see, leaven was representing sin. And Christ, you see, the reason why Christ could not be held captive in the underworld or in Sheol or hell or Gehenna was because he had no sin. He was born without sin. We're born in sin. We're shapen in iniquity. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Christ was our sin sacrifice. Even though he was tempted just like you and I are tempted, he was without sin so that he might become sin for us. He became the curse for us in our place so that he might 
take our place on that place of sacrifice, no longer would there be need of any more oxen or sheep or turtle doves to be slain because Christ is the fulfillment of all those sacrifices. He stepped in that place of suffering. He was obedient even unto the death of the cross. Somebody say amen. Oh, they celebrated. In fact, it's no coincidence, guys. It's no coincidence that when Christ was betrayed and when he suffered that humiliation, it was on the Passover. Read it for yourself in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John. In fact, those who were attacking and judging Jesus were Jews, and they were meticulous about where they went and what they did and how quickly they could do it. In fact, even the reason they took Christ's body off from the cross was because they were preparing for Passover. They were about to go in their homes and eat sacrificed lamb to remember their deliverance from Egypt and their deliverance from the destroyer by the blood of a lamb sacrifice in Egypt. But they didn't know that the lamb of God, that perfect lamb, they had already killed on a cross and were be- was being laid in a borrowed tomb for us so that we might be delivered from Egypt, so that we might be delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And so we count, and there it is. The math is there for you. If Christ was crucified during Passover, and then Christ showed himself alive for how many days? 40 days. 40 days he showed himself alive. And and just a few more days, just a week longer, they gathered together. They were together every day. I would venture to say in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Bible says that he showed himself alive to about 500 at one time. How many were there on the day of Pentecost? I mean, some people said, hey, I'll be with you on day one. I might even make it to day three. But, I mean, this is getting a little ridiculous. Church every night of the week. (laughs) Prayer meeting every day. And by the time Pentecost gets here, when it fully comes, there's 120. And while we celebrate 120, perhaps there should have been 500. But there was 120 gathered on the day of Pentecost. And what is this Pentecost? It's the Feast of Weeks where they celebrate again the first fruits of the harvest. They celebrate the giving of the law. Oh, glory to God. And what we see and read here in Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment. It's the substance of the shadow. Follow me. If Christ was the fulfillment of the meaning of Passover, what happened on the day of Pentecost was not by mistake that it was on Pentecost. It was the fulfillment of the meaning of the Feast of Weeks. It was awaiting for the first harvest, the first fruits of the harvest when they would be gathered in. Oh, is someone already preaching ahead of me? We see on the day of Pentecost, the first people to ever be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost happened on the day of Pentecost. And today, 2,000 years later, we celebrate the first fruits of a worldwide revival that has shaken this earth from circle to circumference, and it's still being poured out today. And is anybody thankful that you are still receiving the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, the fulfillment 
of that great feast of Pentecost. Oh, praise God. Prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah, these two prophets in the Old Testament, they were preaching to a crowd that didn't want to listen to them. Sometimes I could relate. Not really. I can't relate with Ezekiel and Jeremiah's suffering. Man, they, they, they didn't just preach to folks that didn't want to listen. They preached to people that literally put their hands over their ears. Now, that might have happened once or twice in my ministry, but they proceeded to take Jeremiah, cast him in a dungeon, throw him in a pit with mire up to his waist. They gnashed on Ezekiel with their teeth. They wanted to kill these guys. But listen, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they preached, they prophesied, they predicted a better day. They said, I understand. When I'm looking at you, you've got the law on the one hand and you don't want anything to do with it. You're living in contradiction to the law. He said, but there's coming a day where the law of God will not be written on tables of stone, but in the hearts of your flesh. You will have it within you. He says, you didn't have my law, but I'm going to put it in you. I'm going to put my spirit in you. If the Feast of Pentecost celebrated the giving of the law in the Old Testament on the Mount Sinai that Moses ascended up, then we ought to celebrate on this day that we weren't given tables of, of stone, but we were given a Spirit of God that dwells within us, that puts His law on our inward parts. Let, let me... Let, let, me, let me speak practically here. What happens is when those people, when people receive the Spirit of God, what happens? It's just like the book of Psalms says, God will give us the desires of our hearts. What he's doing is he's, when he gives you his Spirit, he's going to impart to you his law. And the things that you used to want to do, you don't want to do anymore. And the things that you didn't want to do, you want to do now. I, I, before you received the Holy Ghost and before you were born again, you lived one way. And you thought anyone that lived any other way were crazy. They were fanatical. They were religious lunatics. But now you found yourself empowered by the Spirit of God. Hey, I want to walk straight. I want to live right. I want to be what God has called me to be. How is this possible? It's because His law is being written on my heart. I've got the desires of a Holy God being written on a fleshly heart. Thank you, Jesus. That's why the Bible says don't grieve the Spirit. Don't resist or strive against the Spirit. Let His Spirit do the work in your life. Your lifestyle of separation and godliness should not come by a well-regimented, disciplined life that you live out in the flesh, that you make yourself do things that are right. Because that will also lead to self-condemnation, where you hate yourself, you condemn yourself when you don't live right. Think yourself a worthless piece of trash and want to give up and quit trying. But what you really need to do is get in touch with the Spirit and like Paul say, I, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. You know why? Because I know in order to live a holy life, I need the Holy Spirit every day. Every day. I need the Holy Ghost. I can't live a holy life without the Holy Ghost. That's why I need it. Oh, hallelujah. 
I'm going to go ahead and jump to the end and then come back to the middle. But I've got, I've got to just say this. You see, because we've got two festivals that are annual pilgrimage festivals. They were, these were huge Jewish holidays. And it's almost like God knew what he was doing when he poured out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. It's like he knew or something that there was going to be a bunch of guests and foreigners from out of town in town that day. It's like he knew that. It's almost like he designed it from all the way back to Deuteronomy 16, 16. Could it, could it be that God had in his mind the day of Pentecost of Acts 2 in Deuteronomy 16? Man, he's pretty smart. We see the fulfillment of Passover in Christ, and we see the fulfillment of Pentecost in the first fruits of the harvest of souls that the Lord intends to bring in. And the 120, oh, praise God, the 120 was just a small sliver of the great revival. Because, the, listen, the sun could not even set on the day of Pentecost without 3,000 being added to the church on that day. You see, the first fruits wasn't just 120. The first fruits was 3,120. And then just a few days later, it was another 5,000. It was just the first fruits. The harvest started with Pentecost. Can I say this? That your life in Christ really begins with your new birth. It begins when you experience the truth and the power of Pentecost. That's not the end of it. That's not the fulfillment of it. That's not somehow your golden ticket to heaven and you just put it in cruise control and coast your way through the golden gates. No, but Pentecost and the new birth experience is just the beginning of what God wants to do in your life. It is the will of God for you to live holy and separated from this world. It is the will of God for you to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ through your life, words, and actions, and attitudes. It's the will of God for you to live an abundant life. Just like Christ said, it begins at Pentecost. But there's a third one, isn't there? I'm, I'm missing one. What's that third one? The, the, the third festival is, is the, it's, what is it? It's the festival of tabernacles, of booths, of tents. That's right. This festival of, of booths or the festival of tabernacles, what it was is when they would, be, we, they would be gathered together again in Jerusalem, always in Jerusalem. They gathered together in Jerusalem. They set up their, their shanties, their, their pop-ups. My parents, they, they've got a new hobby, camping. After, I mean, they've been married for 41 years, and they got a new hobby. They, they started camping outdoors. My mom, I think this led to it. My mom, she's a bargain hunter, and uh, she, she found out that now that she's a senior citizen, she was able to get at a discounted rate uh, a pass, a lifetime pass to all national parks. So, so she's got a lifetime pass. You know what she told me? Bless her heart. She said, I'll leave this in my inheritance for you. I'm like, Mom, I, I think it, it dies with you. Like, I don't want to talk about your death right now, but I don't think you could pass that on to me. I appreciate the sentiment. 
you know, and, and in typical my parents' style, like they can't just like get like blue light special from Kmart if that even exists anymore, pop-up tent. You know, they, 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 they got the, a nice tent. Uh, they even got a shower tent. And, and they couldn't, you just got to know them. They, they, they couldn't just get a single shower tent. They got the double wide. Like they got the one that's like the, the luxury premium version of shower tents. Sending me pictures of it. Like I'm putting together a fireplace in the lobby. And I'm like, really, I, d- I, don't, I don't need to see this right now. You know, I, I can imagine all of us, you know, gathering for the festival of tents, right? We, we've got our pop-up tents. We've got our shanties. We've got our lean-tos. We're, we're there. And, and, and the, the, the festival, again, it's to remind the people of Israel, the people of God, that they were in the wilderness. And it was a temporary place while they were making and being prepared and making ready to go to their forever home, the promised land, the land that belonged to Canaan. And here they were reminded that they once lived in these tents but they're going to the land of promise and God provided for them while they were in their booths and in their tents and they would cut down branches and they would wave them in celebration you actually see this in the New Testament in the in the Gospels when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem and the people gather this is one of his famous years The people gather there in Jerusalem and they cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, he who saves. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. They would wave their palm branches and lay them before him. And these palm branches were ushering in a promise that they had been waiting for. But one week later they were disappointed in and they crucified. They were pulling back from those things. But hear me, while Passover was presented to us in Christ and Pentecost was presented to us in the birth of the church and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, there's another festival that I hear like it's going to be coming soon and it's going to come to completion. It's a shadow of things that are to come. And I believe that here today we ought to be reminded that this place that we reside is just a temporary holding place. This here, this earth of old tainted by sin and cursed in the ground is just a holding place. I've got a promise that I'm going to. I'm going to a home where the city is made out of gold and the gates out of pearl and the streets are out of gold. Woo! Someone, uh, you, we, we, we know that they were disappointed there in the gospel, some, but someone ought to take up their palms, branches, and wave them and say, come even now, come even now. Coming is the Lord. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Oh, I feel, you see, the, t- the Feast of Booths was also the end of the agricultural season. It was when the harvest was complete. The Apostle Peter I believe it's 1 Peter chapter 3. The Apostle Peter says, I know that there's some people around you that they, they, they're laughing. You say it's the last days, and you're like, they're, they're like, ha, where's the coming of the Lord? I've heard that, Walker and I, we were talking about this just the other day. I've heard that all growing up. It's the last days. It's the last of the last days. Or the really good one that preachers like to say, including myself, we're closer to the coming of the Lord than we've ever been. 
That's kind of a true statement. <laughs> no matter what. I mean, he could be coming in a thousand years or one day. Like, we're, clo- we're a day closer. <laughs> Peter says, there's folks that are ridiculing you because you're living like this. And your response is, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He says, what they don't understand is that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to life. He says the reason why he hasn't come back yet is because he doesn't want your soul to be lost. He's waiting for the harvest to be complete. He doesn't want any of his harvest to be lost. That's why Jesus taught the parable of the one that was bringing in the workers from the marketplace to go work in his vineyard. And at the third and the sixth and the ninth and even at the eleventh hour, he said, would you please come work in my harvest? I'm willing to pay you just as much as I paid for the, paid the guy that's working all day. Why? Because my harvest is that precious to me. Listen, there's going to be a celebration that's coming soon where we're going to celebrate that we're no longer abiding in the old earth but there's a new heaven and a new earth and new Jerusalem John said I saw it descending out of heaven and it was beautiful every foundation was made out of precious stone there was no sun there was no moon but the glory of God shone through the new city that was 12,000 miles cube and here it came on a new earth and a new heaven and the Lord reigned as king And we reign with him as kings and queens and priests of God. I said, Jesus is coming, and I'm getting ready for his coming. I'm getting ready for the coming of the Lord. I can see the angel now making ready his lips to set to the horn and that trumpet. And when the last trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be raised together with them up in the air. Oh, if you believe that, clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Be seated. I'm, I'm finished. The, the pattern of Pentecost, it's important. If Jesus is coming, if Jesus is coming, it's important that we follow this pattern that has been set for us by the Lord. It's important that we follow the pattern. You see, Jesus has given us a pattern in the book of Acts. If someone tried to convince you that miracles are no longer with the church today, they have not been a proper student of the Word of God. Nor have they even been aware of the obvious. There's miracles sitting in this room right now. I guarantee it. You fellowship with some of these precious people and you'll you'll hear about all kinds of miracles of provision and healing, deliverance, salvation. If people try to convince you that, uh, you know, that was just on the day of Pentecost, speaking in tongues. Did you read Acts chapter 10? Because Acts chapter 10 is about eight years removed from the day of Pentecost. And they received the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues. Or how about 22 years later removed from Pentecost and you go to Acts chapter 19 where Paul meets 12 disciples. And the first question out of his mouth is, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? 
Acts chapter 10 is significant because our, our, our relatives, some Gentiles, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Up to that, there was really just Jewish new Christians. But Acts chapter 10 is interesting because Peter is a part of it. God orchestrates where Peter comes together to this man, Cornelius' house. Cornelius is so excited. He gathers together all his nearest of kin, his family, his friends, his neighbors, and they're gathered together. And they're just there because they want to hear the words that God has commanded Peter to tell them so that they might be saved. Read it in Acts chapter 11. And Peter, after this happens, he's preaching and these people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They know it because they hear them speak with other tongues, magnify God. Then he commanded that they were baptized in the name of Jesus because just you receive the Holy Ghost still means you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Or to be born of water and the Spirit. But Peter was questioned because he was, he was in the house of someone that wasn't Jewish. It was unclean. He shouldn't have been there. He was questioned about it. But Peter said, look, guys. He's sitting down. He's, he's under interrogation. He's testifying. This is, this is much more important than, than Johnny Depp and uh, whoever that. Oh, you guys have been paying attention to that, huh? I'm sorry. So sorry. Our young people need to go to camp. Peter's being questioned. He's on trial. Like, the church leaders got together and said, hey, Peter, hey, Pete, you got some explaining to do. Why'd you go over there to Corndog's house? Why'd you go over to Cornelius' house? Peter says it was like this. Um, God came to me in this vision. He told me I had to go with these three men that came to the door of the house I was staying in, I obeyed the vision. I went to the house. This is exactly what happened. Cornelius said, hey, an angel came to me. He said to find you and that you're going to tell me what I need to do to be saved. This is what happened. Now, here's the kicker. is Peter says, this is what happened. I was preaching. While I was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on them just like it did on us at the beginning Peter was the guy that stood up on the day of Pentecost. And when the crowd said, what in the world is this? Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, on the day of Pentecost, they had no other example to turn to except the prophecy of the Old Testament. But from that point on... Every time they wanted to know if they were in alignment with what God originally intended for the church, they went back to the day of Pentecost. They went back to the original. The original. This is the original. Okay? This is just a, a, a simple magazine put out by the United Pentecostal Church License Ministers called The Forward. Good magazine, publication. I took this and I took it to our copy machine as service was beginning. And this is the copy it gave to me. It's pretty good. It's a pretty clean, clear copy. But you will find that as I took the copy and made another copy, and then I took this copy and I made another copy, you will find after a period of time that the image begins to be degraded. 
Another example of this would be in carpentry. If in carpentry you took, you had a wall to build and every stud in that wall had to be exactly 83 and a half inches. And you cut a stud to 83 and a half inches. And then you take the stud that you cut and you make another cut in another board off of the board you just cut. After a while, you will notice that it's no longer as good as the original. You, if they did that in this building, we would have walls that would be leaning downward because every cut would be a little less off the next board, off the next board. And it's just like this copy. You would look at this and you would say you know what if I squint my eyes and if I look at that if this is all you knew this might be good but if you saw this you would say that's not close to what this is you see, the reality is, is while we live 2,000 years from the day of Pentecost, we have to be very careful not simply to go off of what those that were just before us did. Let me explain. In 1900, there was a group of people that were striving with everything that they had to be whatever that book said. And they looked at the book of Acts and they said, is there any, anything missing? And they came to the conclusion in Topeka, Kansas, at a small Bible college, that they were missing the infilling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking with other tongues. They saw it in the book of Acts. They knew that they didn't experience it like that. And they said, we want it. And on January 1st, we find that Charles Parham laid his hands on Agnes Osmond by her request to pray that she would receive the Holy Ghost in this manner. And it is the first recorded person in the 20th century that we know of. There's been people throughout all the years, but this was a group specifically saying, we want to go back to the original. She received the Holy Ghost. They took it to Houston, Texas and preached it there. There was a man by the name of William Seymour there, a black gentleman that couldn't even sit in the room where the class was going on because of segregation laws, and he sat outside the room, but he believed what they were saying. He moved to Los Angeles, California. He had not experienced the gift of the Holy Ghost, and he began to preach it in a Methodist church. The Methodist Methodist kicked him out and a group of people called the Asburys, it was a family, said you could come have church at our house. And the group that gathered grew so large that they spilled out onto the porch of the house. There was people around the walls of the house listening in through the windows. There were so many people on the porch that the porch collapsed. But the Bible or the, the record shows that these people began to receive the Holy Ghost. William Seymour was preaching this truth before he even received the experience. But then they rented a livery or a stable in Los Angeles, California on Azusa Street. You could go there today and see the historic marker. And there they stayed from 1906 to 1915, having church every single day. And people came from all over the world to experience Pentecost. And the song that they would sing every service is the comforter has come. The comforter has come. The comforter has come. And people from all walks of life on either side of the race tracks yellow red black white didn't matter who they were how educated they were they came to experience the original power of the early testament church in a 20th century experience we're following a pattern here folks would we'll you stand together with me 
I want you to think about this. When you, when someone here today receives the gift of the Holy Ghost, they are not receiving a lesser version. They are not receiving a corrupted copy of what is talked about in the book of Acts. They are receiving the original right there, the pattern of Pentecost. They're receiving the original spirit right into their lives. Brother Parker... You were filled with the same spirit that the apostle Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost was filled with. Jasmine, you received the Holy Ghost. I believe you're one of the most recent that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. When God poured his spirit into your your, your, your soul and your wonderful soul, what you were receiving was the same thing that Mary, the mother of Jesus, received on the day of Pentecost. Same thing. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me Mary, the mother of Jesus, got the Holy Ghost? Acts chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, lists her there along with the 120. She said, Jesus is not just my son, he's my Lord. And he commanded me to go and wait. And we find even Jesus' half-brothers and sisters were there. Get this. The Bible says they didn't believe on Jesus while Jesus was alive. Something must have changed their minds. Maybe it was 40 days that Jesus showed himself alive by infallible proofs. And guess who was there on the day of Pentecost? His half-brothers and sisters. In fact, when you read the book of James, you are reading the writings of Jesus' half-brother who was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Watch this. When you read from the book of James, and James says, your tongue is an unruly evil. It can be tamed by no man. He's saying it because he's experienced the one thing that you cannot even control when you receive the Holy Ghost. It's the first evidence that God is Lord in your life, and he takes control over the one thing that has gotten you into the most trouble that you can't even control yourself. When you begin to speak in a heavenly language as his spirit gives you the utterance. Hallelujah. If you have already been filled with the Holy Ghost, or if you believe that the Holy Ghost is a gift available for you today, I wonder if we can lift our voices right now and thank God for the pattern of Pentecost. Thank God for the fulfillment of the festival of Pentecost, which is in our infilling of His Spirit with His Spirit and the writing of His laws in our hearts. Would you help me worship Him right now for just a few moments? Just help me lift Him up right now. Thank you, Lord. I want you to extend your faith. Extend your faith and believe that the Lord is here, that he is among us, that he is working even right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go ahead, lift up your voice. I'm calling my church family to lift up your voice and just begin to bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Especially if you've already been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, bless the Lord. Come on, if you've already experienced what you read about that happened on the day of Pentecost, you've experienced it for yourself, just begin to lift up your voice and thank him. Love him. Worship him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.